Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality to discover ultimate meaning and purpose not only for your life, but for the reason for which all things consist and exist. And that is found in the very source of existence and of reality, the supreme intelligence of the universe. And what is that source? It is love. It is the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love. The one true eternal God. So for those of you that are new, I just want to um, point you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where you will discover a flip book that you can read. And <clears throat> that is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. Much of the print is highlighted in red. They are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos, which highly confirm from many fields of science <clears throat> the reality of what I am sharing here. Just getting over a bit of a kind of a cold I had for a while, so excuse that. That will eventually disappear. So these videos confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. How do I share these messages? Well, the Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God by His Spirit to speak through us beyond ourselves. Now that was referring to believers when they gather together around Jesus Christ. That it should be the norm in the meetings for everyone to be free to share as the Holy Spirit moves upon them and bring forth utterances that are coming beyond themselves by the gifting of the Spirit of God, whether that's a prayer, a word of encouragement or exhortation or prophetic utterance or a word of knowledge, whatever way that comes forth. Sometimes I was in a meeting where I would feel the Spirit of God rise in me and I didn't want to quench the Spirit. And I knew I was to sing out a song, but I didn't know what the words were. Maybe there was most of the time a seed thought of what God was putting there. It would spring forth in a beautiful song, sometimes even poetic. I've experienced that in prayer as well. And so I will seek to speak as the oracles of God. This is further explained in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth out of a pure heart, in great humility and reverence and love for God, we are filled with the spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves. The results in speaking prophetically or speaking as the oracles of God. So I will seek to speak this message out of a heart set and mindset of worship. And to facilitate that, I use two independent random applications on the internet to cast lots before the Lord in great reverence. And I pray over these applications to receive the possibility of any chapter from the Bible. And the reason there's two is because I choose two chapters that would bear witness with each other as to the theme of the message and 
amplify the theme. And so I will be sharing with you what I received today, and I didn't share yesterday, so I'll also share what I received yesterday. But before I do any of this, I also seek to find a song, often by the casting of Lot, and so today I've chosen a song more than going by the casting of Lot, Although at first I did cast Lot, and it was a good song, but I'm so particular about the song that it's high-quality tune and words that sometimes I say, no, I think for the message I better choose another song, and I prayerfully look and look until I sense which one it is. So that's what's happened today. So I want to share, we're first of all going to worship together with the song that has been chosen to go with this message. So here we go. The name of Jesus is our stand, it is our victory. Not on ourselves do we rely. But mighty Lord on thee, our weapons are not arms of flesh, but ours the Spirit's sword, and God's whole armor putting on, we battle in the Seeing conflict strong, hooray. 
just to endure. Tis here that life or death is won. Who will God's grace And so appropriate for what was taken by the casting of Lot in the last two days. So today being December the 29th of 2022 on Thursday, I received number six and Psalms 130. But I found it difficult to see the common theme at first between those two chapters. And so once in a while, you'll notice I get three chapters because then it becomes more clear as to the theme. And so the common theme between these chapters, now the third chapter I chose, was First Chronicles 11. And <clears throat> then there was Psalms 130. <clears throat> the common theme between these chapters and yesterday's chapters, which I will also point out, are meeting the requirements to be an overcomer, to enter the full inheritance of, that God has for your life as an individual and also corporately for your local assembly, for your nation, for your community. <clears throat> Yesterday, on Wednesday, December the 28th of 2022, I received John 14, and Nehemiah 4. And again, sometimes at first you do not see the theme, but I do clearly see the common theme there is the same as the theme that is today. So I first want to, first of all, want to touch on John chapter 14. And so we will go there in this digital application that I have here. So I'm going to have to turn there right now to just touch on that John chapter 14 many of you are familiar with um, as Christ is sharing with the disciples just before his crucifixion not too much further in time okay so we're at John chapter 14 he says let not your heart be troubled ye believe in God believe also in me 
in my Father's house or habitation. Are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know in the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then he goes on to say this, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you? I speak not of myself, but my Father. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. And he goes on. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And we recently have shared on this particular verse, one similar to it, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. This is a very similar verse in verse 13. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. And he goes on to explain that the comforter, the Holy Spirit, will abide with them forever. And that he will not leave them comfortless. He goes on, and I'm skipping down to verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. And I cannot go on to read everything, but I want to emphasize certain verses in John 14 here. Going further down to verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come on to him and make, and we, pardon me, we will come on to him and make our abode with him. Now we know that the name, common name for God in the Old Testament, the way it was expressed there, in the English it comes out as Lord God, and Lord is referring to Yahweh, the I am that I am, the ultimate source of reality that is beyond creation. Um, separate and above and beyond creation. That's basically the name, the first name, which is Lord in the English in the Old Testament. But the second one is Elohim, which means literally the Almighty's One, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so here we have him saying, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. In other words, Elohim, God, which is the Almighty's, will come and make our abode with him. 
He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he heareth is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. He goes on. I cannot continue to read because it's very hard to do a message when you're covering a bunch of chapters with the same basic theme that you're wanting to bring out. But in this passage of Scripture, we see that God's desire is that we should come into habitation with him, ultimate habitation with him, ultimate fellowship with him, which is described in Ephesians 1, that someday we should stand before God holy and blameless in a love beyond our comprehension. And I've written a book called God, pardon me, I always sometimes say the title of the other book. The most recent book is Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which is up there on Amazon to purchase in Kindle as well as the other format, 367 pages in print. In that book, and what you will find, for example, Dean Braxton on YouTube, if you type in NDE, standing for near-death experiences in Dean Braxton, you will discover that when he met Jesus Christ, which is an amazing description that is also in my book, the love was so intense that it's way beyond anything of this present dimension, which is very inferior, so that it's impossible to comprehend it describe in words or imagination. But the love from Jesus Christ was so intense that he knew that if he was the only one that God created, Christ would have actually come. God would have actually come and humbled himself more than a mere creature and suffered more than him a mere creature in order that he could be loved by God. That was the intensity of the love he was feeling there. It was like he was the only one that God loved, like he was the apple of God's eye, the center of God's love in the whole universe. Yet he knew that God loved the others with the same intensity. This is the place of our ultimate destiny. And of course, the descriptions of heaven are beyond anything of this earthly ability to even imagine or comprehend. And they are well written in the book that I have published. Excuse me. Now, the other chapter that I received on Wednesday, yesterday, was Nehemiah chapter 4. And what is that about? It is about Israel returning and building the walls of Jerusalem, but the enemy is attacking to stop them from establishing their place of dwelling or habitation. But this is an outward temporal habitation which is to represent the glory of God upon the earth as a testimony to the nations of the world at that particular time. And of course, we'll be on to the end of time that God will make his throne and his place of habitation upon this temporal earth in the millennial reign of Christ in Jerusalem, which will be his throne and presence of glory in the last days. But here in Nehemiah chapter 4, you have the enemy attacking and trying to stop them from rebuilding that wall. And I could go and read it, but for time, I just need to touch on it. They're threatening, and they found out that the enemy had plans to slaughter them all. 
so that they would stop that wall permanently. But they found out about the plans because God exposes darkness. He exposes the plans of the enemy to his people. The question is, what are we doing once we know what is happening? Are we burying our heads in the sand and ignoring the reality of what we face? The giants, as it were, that seem overwhelming to us? How are we going to build a wall and fight the enemy at the same time? And yet God is calling us to do what the children of Israel did there in Nehemiah. If you love me, keep my commandments. Part of loving God and keeping his commandments is that we set up a wall in our lives as individuals of separation from the things that would compromise our lives and stop us from coming into such a deep identity with Christ that it is a wall of protection around us because we begin to carry the habitation of his glory as the shadow of his presence over us into the midst of the battle and the presence of God defeats the enemy because we carry his presence with us. But there's a growth to come into that. There's a struggle to come into that place in God and our lives. It says that if we continue in his word, we shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It says to labor to enter the rest, for there is a rest for the people of God. And he that has entered that rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. God had a point where he enjoyed what he created. And when we persevere, as they did in the book of Nehemiah, to love God with all our heart, despite the attempts of the enemy to draw us away into the temporal temptations of this world, or to hit us with attacks that would destroy our desires for Christ and to come into that close relationship with him, then... we lose out greatly. God is calling us to be bold and courageous like they were in Nehemiah and to persevere to seek the Lord and to separate ourselves from unholiness because God requires that we enter into such a relationship with him that we are not manipulated by the temporal baits and loves of this world the deceptions of our heart to justify these things of being of God, including a desire to do ministry or whatever else, it must all be put on the altar and sanctified before God. But there is a place where the wall is built, as it was in the book of Nehemiah. And then the enemy is defeated and in shame. And there is the establishment of the kingdom of God among the nations as it was. For God had called Israel to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation unto God. Now today on Thursday, December the 29th, I received number six. That's about the laws of becoming a Nazarite, which are very strict laws. Why? did certain people choose to become Nazarites? It was because they wanted a close relationship with God where his presence would be very strong in their lives and they would fill, fulfill God's purpose and destiny in their life. So they decided to pay a great price and it was cutting off anything to do with drinking wine. 
anything to do with the vine. And of course, what does that wine represent? It represents the fulfillments, the natural fulfillments of the world. It represents what is fulfilling in the natural realm. Oh, sometimes people might ask me how I'm doing and I have a little poem and I'll say, well, I'm fine. I'm drinking heavenly wine, walking in love divine in the heavenly mind. <laughs> and you can find all, why, world, the lungs, you can go on and, and say a lot more with that kind of an ending. I found heavenly wine far better than worldly wine. Why, even before my enemies I can die. Well, it goes on. Yes, God is calling us to enter into a place where we say, I love my master, I love my Lord, I will not go free. Put the all through my ear. I've decided to be a Nazarite unto you. Now, the other chapter I received was Psalms 130. And Psalms 130, I hope I can quickly get it in this digital Bible. Here it is. I got it pretty quick. It's pretty short. So I want to just read a little bit of it. It says out of the depth, it says song of degrees, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Yahweh. And then it goes, Adonai, hear my voice. That's Lord. Hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Yahweh, shouldst mark iniquities, O Adonai, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. That reminds me of the psalmist David that committed such horrific sins in having such a desire for this beautiful woman. He saw that he had her husband killed. But when Nathan pointed out to him, thou art the man, he was devastated. He realized the terrible sin he'd committed against God and he was broken. And he suffered the consequences of his sin with terrible things that happened in the rest of his life. But he had a heart after God. He didn't hide his sin or justify it. He didn't have an impure motive in his repentance. His motive was pure. He said, against thee and against thee only have I sinned. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And I have to tell you, I could preach a whole sermon on this because one of the things God's called me to do is to preach on the fear of God. And there's so much in this word, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. God is wanting us to enter into the genuine fear of God. And the genuine fear of God cannot be really entered into unless there's a genuine choice from the heart to turn and recognize and reciprocate who God is first in the severity of his judgment upon sin, which is the integrity of his God's love, which will not tolerate what is contrary to love. His love is a love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such has a measure of corruption in it. His love is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption, the antithesis of corruption. This is the holiness of God. It is very severe, and, 
It's so easy to look on the consequences of God's severity in our own lives and in the suffering around us and begin to be bitter and unthankful and forget that the reason God is so severe on sin is because he must destroy all corruption. Because love will not tolerate what is contrary to love, which is corruption, which would destroy love. And love is the source of all that is good and is beautiful. God is the very source of beauty and all goodness. But if we begin to see God like Cain as some dictator that requires appeasement because we've been unthankful in our heart and failed to perceive him rightly and that he is good, that we can trust him even when it seems he's against us, that our end can be good. And this is what's so needed. When we really see how holy God is, we acknowledge that we are undone. And we recognize that he is so good that he can actually forgive us. For a God that is good would always provide for his creation, ultimate meaning and destiny and purpose and fulfillment. He wouldn't create something without purpose. And so we recognize, therefore, that he has the power to forgive without violating the integrity of his love. Because he could become a perfect atoning sacrifice and only he. And this is the genuine fear of God. It is the reciprocation of who God is and his holiness first, out of which we can then reciprocate who God is in the abundance of his mercy and grace when we turn to him in true repentance. And then it says, I wait for Yahweh. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Now, what does this word wait mean in the original? The word wait in the original has the understanding of binding together something like a rope being bound together. The words in the original are which is in the symbolic Hebrews letters, the symbol of the sunset. And it has the understanding of what comes, what is, it is the focus and the cycling, continually turning to, turning to, focusing, focusing, focusing. The sun comes up and down, up and down. It is the focus of the light. It is looking to the light rather than all that's around the light. It has the understanding of focus with a purpose because the other meaning and aspect of the meaning of this word is not just binding together. It is collection. Collection like a pool or a a pond that collects water or open hands that collect the rain in your hand. It is the understanding of our heart being open and reciprocative like an open hand until it is full of life, full of the life of God's presence. It is the understanding also of binding back. It's binding together, but it's also we also has the understanding of withholding our own self-initiation. 
And so what happens is then we begin as we wait on God, and that takes quality time. That's why I spend hours each day in prayer, is because I want to wait. And sometimes you don't have to say anything before God. You just got to be conscious and be reciprocating the beauty of who God is and just being still and in awe before him. Be still and know that I am God. And in that you are waiting in God and his presence is being poured out and you are beginning to enter into a place of habitation with God and of identity with God that cannot be broken. It is like the wall, Nehemiah's, the wall that was built around Jerusalem is being built up to a point where it cannot be torn down, where the city of God can be established within and the temple of God can be established within us as individuals and corporately in our local assemblies. If we come to a place where we choose to be God's house of prayer and God's house of holiness, separating ourselves from the forces that would seek to throw their arrows and darts at us because we compromise and open ourselves to be vulnerable to them. But we quench those fiery darts by the shield of faith, which is reciprocating who God is in his love, for faith works by love, by the perception of God and his love, and his love is in the two aspects that I described. First, the integrity of love that will not tolerate sin, and secondly, the mercy of love that is so great that he would suffer more than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could receive his mercy, his grace, and forgiveness, and a destiny that goes on forever in heaven, where he will love you beyond what you can imagine. How can you reject a God that loves you that much, who died so that you could receive eternal life? From the time of Adam and Eve, they knew that there was one God, and there was one message from the time of Adam and Eve, and that is that there is one God, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's almighty because he can rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, as the Father beyond time and space, as the Son within the creation realm, and as the Holy Spirit in omnipresence. And yes, there God is abiding and wanting to come and dwell in us, as mentioned in John 14, if you keep my commandments the commandment is to love him with all our heart and being and strength. That means that we do not allow the loves of this world in us, but we build the wall of separation. We refuse to compromise. We die to the world to establish his dwelling in us as individuals, but also corporately as a body. And so this meaning of weight is very significant. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now I want to go back up here briefly and touch on First Chronicles 11 as well, as I sought for greater insight. Now, I'm not necessarily going to turn there to First Chronicles 11. I'll tell you what it's about. It's about King David finally being, a, he's in Hebron, and all of Israel comes 
to make him king. But then King David decides to take Jerusalem, and there's the Jebusites that won't let him. They're the ones that live there, and they say, no, you're not going to take this city. We live here, and, you know, basically, what happens? The word Jebusites means he will be trodden down. So David challenges, um, he says, whoever takes Jerusalem will be my main captain. And, uh, and so that's what happened. I forgot his name now exactly. He, becomes, he became the captain. But there is other accounts in the word of God about the taking of the Jebusites and the conquering of Jerusalem. So this is the place that God chose to be his habitation. It had to be conquered. And there was a point in all of our lives where our own self-sufficiency and our pride was broken. We thought we were so great that we could tread down. The word Jebusites means he shall be trodden down. But God had to bring us to a point to realize in our own sufficiency, we can't overcome anything. We came to a point where we realized our undoneness and we cried out and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And our pride was broken. And so Jerusalem was taken. And 1 Chronicles 11 is an amazing account of the mighty men of David. The first chief one of, among them all, and maybe I could go there. I'll see if I can hit on it here. I might run into it somehow. This might be it. I don't know. We'll see. No, it's Nehemiah 3 from yesterday. So, or I'm here. I will just simply turn to it in the digital application here to 1 Chronicles 11. 1 Chronicles 11. I'm going there. 1 Chronicles 11. There we go. <clears throat> and I will read some of the verses here on this. Beginning in verse 5, And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Job, the son of Zeruiah, went first up and was chief. <clears throat> and David dwelt in the castle. Therefore, they called it the city of David. And he goes on to describe and he built the city round about, even from Millo round about, and Job repaired the rest of the city. Goes on and describes one of David's mighty men here. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is the number of the mighty men whom David had. Here's the first one. Jasobim, a Hakamanite, the chief of the captains, he lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time. You talk about powerful warriors, about fearlessness. This is such an important aspect, as was pointed out also in the song we, in the song we sung. We are in a war, we're in a battle, and we are to be those that are valiant, Courageous warriors. Why? Because we know who is indwelling us and around us in his presence. It is the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
if we're loving God with all our heart and being, we don't have to fear even if people try to torture us to death. God will give us the strength and carry us an eagle's wings through such a trial if that was so what he ordained for us. He will always give us the strength to overcome all things. And here we see the boldness and the fearlessness of many of David's mighty warriors. And that happens because of waiting on God as we discuss the word wait on the Lord. It has the understanding as I mentioned, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even though those that are in the natural so sufficient will become weary, they will not because they know what it is to have the life of God imported, imparted unto them in the time of need to overcome all things because they've learned to be fearless and without fear. Because why? Because they found such a strong identity in the love relationship they have with God. It says in the word of God, the perfect love casts out fear. And when your love is full and complete in God, you become fearless and you become a bold warrior that cannot stand the things that are contrary to his love. You are conformed to the being of God so that you hate with intensity what God hates and you love with intensity what God loves. That's when you rise up and you can boldly be like Stephen and reprove the works that are unfruitful. At the cost of your own life, you don't care. You know, if you die, you're in a place you'd never want to come back to this earth because it's so much more wonderful. God is calling us as a people in this hour to become those that are Nazarites. And that word Nazarite, I didn't describe what that means. And I'll just say that it means separate. Hence, it also means um in the symbolic letters, it's the symbol of a seed and then an instrument that cuts in order to reap a harvest or to, um, it's a cutting instrument. Seed is representative of continuance and cutting off is of cutting off what is not of God. And the last letter is the symbol of a human head, which represents priority. In other words, our priority in life is a continuance by cutting off what is not of God so that our priority is a continuance in life for the seed also represents life and life is only from God. It is only God that brings life and is the source of life. So our priority is abiding in God by cutting off what is contrary to abiding in God. And that's the understanding of those that chose to be Nazarites and to separate themselves from wine and even not to cut their hair so that they wouldn't care what they looked like. They wouldn't care what people think of but they would be in a place where they were dead to the loves of the world and separate unto God. This word Nazarite also has the understanding of a crown. 
an ornament placed on the head as a sign of dedication. So the sign of a crown is a sign of your love for God. And in the last days, when the Lord returns, he will give various crowns that will shine forth with the glory and radiance of his presence. Let no man take your crown. What does it say? He that overcometh shall inherit all things in Revelations, I believe, 19. And the secret to that overcoming in the context is that you're thirsty, that you don't lose your thirst for God that is not quenched by the loves of the world. Check it out. That's what it says there. Maybe I could quickly turn to it in closing as the last verse in closing. Going to Revelations, and I'm not sure exactly where it is, could be Revelations 21 too that it is in. So I will go there and just see what we get. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I know that. So we'll go to Revelations 19. It's about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'll have to learn to memorize where these verses are a little bit better, I guess. Maybe it's Revelations uh, 21, like I thought, or 17. I don't know. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, I will just um, close with one of these. Whoops chapters here. I'll go to 21 again. I'm skimming things, so it's not easy. Here it is, verse 6 and 21. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. You must be a thirst to receive of the fountain of the water of life. Then it says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, <clears throat> the consciousness of loss to self is what fear is. It causes uptightness, as mentioned in John. It says, the perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment or uptightness, because it's a consciousness of loss to self. <clears throat> but when we know our relationship with God, we gladly yield what we tend to cleave onto out of a motive of self-destructive fear. And we let go and we receive the love of God. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Thank you for listening to this message and get my book, on Amazon, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which is in everything you can do to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. It's about 270-some-odd pages, uh, from what I recall. I have very in-depth on many things like tongues and the seven ones of unity, etc., but the main focus is on 
facilitating the fullness of Christ in your meetings. God bless you all. Thank you.